You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest, and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's another beautiful sunny day in the low to mid 60s, and just that drop dead gorgeous weather we that we pay for all winter long with our long rainy winters here. But I tell you, I, I from about this time of year through mid-September, you cannot beat the weather in Oregon with a stick. Um, I tell you, it's it's worth the winters. But you know what comes with with you know th- that good weather? It's construction season. We'll talk a little bit about construction season here on the Bose Nose Show. But you know, first thing I want to mention, you know, last weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and you know everybody gets to run off and you know, go away for three days and make a four-day weekend out of it or a five-day weekend. Uh, but just don't want to forget it was Memorial Day, and it's the day where we remember those that um, died, you know, for our country and for our freedoms. And I, I had to remember my uncle, Wade Schaefer, who died in 1961 as an ensign in the U.S. Navy uh, in a training exercise in his fighter jet uh, at the time. Uh, would have probably ended up deployed over to Vietnam if he had, had uh, been deployed fresh out of the Naval Academy. And uh, it was kind of a sad thing left behind my two young cousins at the time and my aunt widowed. Uh, and uh, he was, don't remember him. My oldest brother remembers him. Understand he was a really great guy, and uh, but he did give the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And you know, anyone that wants to call into the Bose Nose Show, maybe with some of their stories about relatives and family members and friends that may have made the ultimate sacrifice, just give us a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. So, you know, a little bit of uh, different stuff, you know, after you know, thanking all those and, and remembering those that made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, you know, there things we're here for daily, and it's you know the Bose Nose Show is here and able to broadcast unfiltered and everything because of those sacrifices. But we get to talk about what's going on in Lane County, what's going on in Oregon, what's going on in our country, or even the world. You know, from you know, Kim Jong crazy and, and the Donald, are they going to have a summit? Or are they not going to have a summit? Right down to local stuff like the Saginaw Mill fire. And today I got to attend a stakeholders meeting for Highway 126 West uh, here in Lane County, which is a 
state highway facility that runs from Eugene all the way to Florence. Um, you know, as far as the west end of it, of course, the east end goes all the way up to the Cascades and Sandy Am Pass. Um, but, you know, I, I'm mostly concerned with my end, of course, you know, that, you know, everything's local in government and politics. And uh, we had a stakeholder meeting today, mostly to talk about the kickoff of the uh, National Environmental Protection Act uh, phase of the Highway 126 improvements between Eugene and Benita following up the 2012 corridor plan that the state um, went through a process and got approved that identified um, up to four lane improvement uh, across that narrow stretch that runs on the dike that goes between uh, the railroad tracks and Fern Ridge Reservoir. Anyone that's driven it knows that it's basically um, an accident waiting to happen is that there's not a lot of shoulder and there's just a center line dividing traffic that's going 65 to 75 miles an hour in both directions, bumper to bumper at times, and uh, gets a little foggy through there, gets a little icy sometimes. It gets pretty rough right now with the pavement, although that's going to get fixed this summer. They're repaving Highway 126 this summer. Speaking of construction season, that'll be one that we get to deal with this summer. Of course, they're going to do nighttime construction work on that all but one little bit. They'll have to do some bridge work on a little bridge over a creek down near Fisher. For those that are local here, Fisher uh, Road, um, where they're actually going to have to do some single lane uh, closures and flagging even during daytime. So be looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> but as we go through construction season, but the, the stakeholders meeting was kind of to bring everybody together to talk about this process where you, you know, kind of try and look at what are all the issues and problems with widening that road uh, and the ultimate project, trying to identify uh, potential collaborations and all. And it was really a good meeting because we had folks there that were state senators and state representatives from the from the Oregon uh, elected officials side. Uh, we had the mayor of Benita there. Uh, I was there representing the county elected officials. We had county staff there from Public Works. We had the state ODOT's area manager there. We had Jackie Michelanas from the governor's office there. Uh, we had folks from Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley's office there representing the, the U.S. Um, federal side of things. Uh, we had folks from the Corps of Engineers. We had somebody from the Coos Bay Rail. Uh, line and it was a, a great meeting just to kind of talk about all the issues and identify some possible out-of-the-box partnerships like we're working with the uh, Corps of Engineers to possibly tap some funding that is available to the Corps through a water resources uh, gosh what's the D stand for WRDA something or other act um, where that it's their initial funding for core it identifies core projects for funding and and because this involves the core so much it's trying to get some funding through the core's funding stream to support this project because at the same time the core is going through a master plan for fern ridge reservoir that they hope to have done by 2019 that's going to identify all the future improvements to the recreational facilities and to the dam and other parts of you know the, the function of the dam uh, as, as a flood control structure, but also um, all those rec facilities that are tied into the reservoir. So there, there may be some real um, 
uh, you know, I hate to use the word synergy because it's been so overused, uh, but there's some real, uh, you know, where we can utilize this widening project to actually help, you know, one of the things that's been uh, visioned for Fern Ridge Reservoir is to develop a path um, system that circumnavigates the reservoir where you'd be able to, you know, walk the entire perimeter of the reservoir or bicycle the entire perimeter of the reservoir. And of course, with 126 forming one of those boundaries, that path could also be part of the bike ped facility for the highway um, that you're kind of now sort of required by federal law to, you know, when you improve a road, you also have to improve for all modes, including bicycles and pedestrians, mass transit, freight mobility, as well as vehicle, regular, you know, everyday vehicles, so, you know, it's just one of those things where there may be a possibility to work together. There's some issues on rec facilities around the Fern Ridge Reservoir because there's concerns about archaeological um, resources that might be in the ground around the area from the Native American population that used to live in this vicinity. And uh, so there, there may be a way of working together with ODOT and with the Corps to actually do some of those archaeological surveys all at once um, and and not get double billed and also resolve those issues maybe and be able to move forward because I know that currently some of those archaeological issues are ho holding up the ability for the local Babe Ruth Association to add a second field at Perkins Peninsula Park because um, the federal um, heritage historical heritage acts that cover that sort of thing basically say until you've done the survey work and determine there's not resources there, you can't disturb the ground. <laughs> and of course, you got to disturb some ground to put in some another ball field because you got to get things all leveled out. And of course, they'd like to put in some irrigation work there. So they have to dig for pipelines. Um, so little things like that, that they may be able to work together with through this NEPA process and leverage each other's funding streams. It was kind of a kind of a nice nice meeting to have everybody talking about how we can work together and support each other in some kind of unusual ways because it's not real typical you've got you know ODOT and the Corps of Engineers talking about how they can work together with a railroad company you know and and, and resolve all these issues because the rail company wants to put in an extra siding um, somewhere along this this stretch because they have sometimes have to sidetrack cars as they kind of have to deal with the interface between the Coos Bay rail line and the Union Pacific rail line and the delays and sometimes moving cars across that boundary between the two rail lines causes them problems because they don't have a siding near that interface to store cars. So sometimes it actually will hold up, hold trains just because they can't move a car across that boundary. So, um, they have need to do some expansion work in that same vicinity. So it's like, you know, really a, a, a kind of an interesting situation and an opportunity for Lane County because talk about economic impact and safety impact and recreational facility and tourism impact. All of that ties together between those three facilities, the, the Fern Ridge Reservoir, Highway 126 and the Coos Bay Rail Line have so much impact on Lane County uh, in overall and even locally uh, for the Benita Fern Ridge area. But you think about 
at Coos Bay Rail Line can really open up a lot of economic opportunity as they start dredging the port and there may be ability to ship overseas by using that transload facility. We also heard from the transload ownership uh, there at Green Hill Road where they've got, they're starting to do intermodal transload from truck to rail and from rail back to truck at that facility on Green Hill Road right near 126 onto the Coos Bay rail line, be able to get you know local products, whether it's from Ninkasi Brewery or a hazelnut farm from the southern Willamette Valley to a into a shipping container and down to the Port of Coos Bay and, and into international shipping from there uh, may be a real value in the future. So anything that helps that out as far as Highway 126 goes also gets trucks off of Highway 126 safety wise if we're using the rail line instead. But um, Highway 126, if we can make that a more dependable corridor to Benita and out into the winery areas that are all territorial in the north-south direction from Benita uh, and onto the coast, how much that helps our tourism industry, how much it will open up economic opportunities for some of the undeveloped industrial land in the Benita area. There's a whole small industrial park right there off of 126 that they're having trouble developing because they can't count on the time delay for shipping because of how volatile 126 can be and how easily it can get blocked. And, you know, just lots of good things that could happen there. So it's kind of an exciting meeting. Can't tell it, it ants me up when we can throw a bunch of people in a room and start talking about out of the box stuff and how do we work across these silos that normally exist um, in government agencies and try and work towards the common good instead of against each other even though there's a common good involved. Uh, and so it was really a, a pretty cool meeting today. See if I have to see if the momentum keeps going, but it kind of kicks off construction season because one of the things we got coming up is not only are we going to be repaving Highway 126 this summer, we're going to be repaving Beltline Highway. And that's going to be another nighttime project. Uh, so you're going to start seeing that as well as there's going to be an intersection um, uh, improvement done at Delta and, and Beltline, which you're going to start seeing some uh, ramp closures and stuff like that almost entirely at night. But of course, some of that might bleed over into the day. At the same time, they're going to be working on the Washington Jefferson Bridge down there between I-105 and, and uh, 6th and 7th Streets. So that's going to be fun. So it's like you, there's nowhere you can go to escape it as well as the fact that Eugene's going to be doing a lot of street reconstruction work this summer. And uh, we're just going to be, yeah, we're in construction season. They, they, they joke in Oregon, there's two seasons, winter and construction. And uh, lots of, you know, with all the new highway funds becoming available through House Bill 2017 that passed uh, a couple of years ago, as well as uh, it looks like there's going to be additional funding that's coming out of, um, the omnibus spending bill that passed in Congress uh, for some of the federal highway dollars, you're going to start seeing a lot more construction activity on the highways. Um, so be careful out there when you're driving. So uh, again, I just want to remind folks, this is the Bose Nose Show, and, and the show's in your control. At all times, I like to remind people that we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you call the show at 
8687. Just press one and that lets Robin, my uh, producer and call screener, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one and we can talk about Memorial Day. We can talk about Highway 126. We can talk about construction season or we can talk about emergency alerts. Now, there's something that's in the news today as once again, we've got a state agency that issued an emergency alert that bejeebus out of a few people last night. Um, wasn't quite as bad as, as, you know, Hawaii and, you know, the missiles are coming, <laughs> but it went out to folks around Salem uh, and it was intended to give them an update on the water system telling people to uh, get kids under six or those that are, are uh, have compromised health to be drinking bottled water because they've got some issues with they're getting a, a, a very minor small amount of blue-green algae toxins in their water system from the uh, North Saniam River source that they use uh, which comes down from some of the reservoirs that are having some of the algae bloom issues uh, up in the Cascades. That was the intent of the alert, was to give that detail out. What went out was an alert that basically said there was some kind of civil unrest or something. I can't you know, exactly what it said. It was a generic uh, alert, and it, it, you know, it rang a bunch of people's cell phones and made people all concerned. At least I will say one thing, um, they did try and correct it pretty quickly on social media and it wasn't 30 minutes before any word came out that it was erroneous and, and the actual real information came out pretty quickly afterwards. But it just surprises me that after Hawaii, that Oregon would almost duplicate the same mistake in some ways where the, the wrong alert went out. But it was kind of interesting I'm reading the article in the Statesman Journal uh, online, the original request to put the alert out came out of, you know, of course, the city of Salem uh, Public Works Department that runs their drinking water system. And they didn't have the ability to put the alert out locally. So they went to their Woodburn Emergency um, Operations Center, which is, you know, more or less a 911 center, and asked them to put the alert out for them. And they couldn't manage to do it. Woodburn Center asked the Office of Emergency Management, which is a state agency. Uh, to put the alert out. It was OEM that put that alert out that defaulted to some kind of generic alert <laughs> that got everybody pretty upset in the Salem area. Um, so, you know, a couple questions there. Why couldn't the city of Salem manage to put the alert out? Why was the Woodburn Center unable to put the alert out? And then why did OEM not, was you know, put out the wrong alert? even though they're given all the, the detail that was supposed to go out in the alert from the Salem Water Department. Um, so kind of an interesting thing there, just in the whole alert system, still in its infancy and still causing people more panic than informational. Um, although, you know, there's plenty of occasions where it seems to work pretty well, uh, particularly with tornado alerts um, on other parts of the country uh, where they get the information out accurately and actually save lives with emergency alert systems. So I guess maybe the West Coast is kind of still in the infancy on how to use the system, whereas the Midwest um, and South uh, have been dealing with tornadoes and that sort of uh, uh, quickly evolving emergency um, a lot longer than we have. 
And uh, so maybe we'll get it right next time. Who knows? But that leads to another whole issue. And, and it kind of, you know, this is where I get to geek out a little bit because, you know, I, I is an engineer and uh, I did work for a water utility. So when you start talking about blue-green algae, you start making water professionals really nervous. Um, you know, blue-green algae toxin is really a horrible toxin. You know, it's not something you can reverse with a, an antitoxin or some kind of antidote. You know, you ingest it, you're, you're in trouble. Um, and of course, you know, the smaller the animal that ingested, the, the worse the problems. That's why it turns up so quickly in pets versus people because of the body mass and all um, the sensitivity to the toxin. But it's, it's a, you know, it does damage to the liver and of course can't function without a liver. Um, you know, you can lose a kidney and you still got one kidney and, you know, kidney transplants are fairly common, liver transplants, not so much. Um, and uh, it's really um, a pretty, pretty deadly toxin. The real problem is it's just a chemical, the actual toxin, and the chemical gets released as these algae cells die in the cell membranes rupture and it's actually a chemical that's inside the cell you know and of course blue green algae is really a single cell uh, organism and uh, that's so that's you know one of the issues is you know it comes from this, this naturally occurring algae um, that go through these blooms and die um, is really where they get into the water system you can't normal water treatment for the most part doesn't take um, chemicals at the molecular level really out of the, the water. You know, usually you're dealing with a pure enough water system. You don't, you know, worry about that and certain chemicals it can remove, uh, but not others. And it, it will actually get through most standard municipal filtration systems. You know, that you get these systems that are really meant to get rid of um, uh, particles. You know, they're, they're, and they, they'll get rid of a particle down to a certain size. Well, a chemical is not a particle. And if you can't get that chemical to attach to a particle, it's hard to filter out. And that's kind of what you do with a lot of uh, municipal systems is you add uh, coagulants um, and various chemicals to try and form larger particles you can filter out where things stick together and become a large enough particle that your filter system takes them out and that's what cleans up the water. And usually the last stage of that filter system, and sometimes the pre-stage to help in coagulation, is you add chlorine. And, and I won't go through all the water chemistry of why you do that, but the problem with adding chlorine as, as in a pre-stage with blue-green algae is chlorine will rupture that cell membrane and actually add to the, tox, the amount of toxin in the water. So it's actually... One of the things, you know, if you know you've got a blue-green algae problem, you stop pre-chlorinating, which is, you know, which then gets to the issue of that can mess up some of your other treatment streams as far as dealing with particle removal. Um, you know, really the only effective way of getting rid of the blue-green algae toxin is with membrane filtration that's down to what they call the nano filtration level, which will take out, you know, basically take almost any kind of water and turn it into pure plain old H2O because the pores in the membranes are basically 
small enough to only pass a water molecule and not a larger um, molecule that toxins are. You know, those, those larger um, organic uh, molecules. But that's really um, a difficulty. So I, I feel for the folks running the Salem treatment system because now, you know, you're getting really small trace amounts, but if that rises to any certain level, um, it'll get just like the lake system where they're having to tell people to stay out of the water um, and and you've got to be really careful uh, with the water because um, they're drawing from the river that drains the reservoirs basically um, and it's those reservoirs up there Detroit Lake Green Peter and all that that feed down in the Salem water system uh, where that the original blue-green algae blooms start and it's kind of you know, a strange thing because it seems like the incidences of these blooms are growing um, across the country uh, in some ways, and and the frequency is also, you know, the frequency is growing and the size, and and when they occur, you know, they're occurring earlier in the summer, they're occurring more often, and there's lots of theories about why that's happening, um, everything from uh, the amount of nutrients in the water from everything from cattle grazing and, and farm practices to uh, just the, the temperature of water in these reservoirs being higher um, than, than natural uh, drought conditions exacerbating it because the temperature levels go up earlier in the season, water flows are lower, so you're not flushing these reservoirs out um, for as long a period. Um, pre-summer and they're getting more stagnation. Uh, so it's an interesting problem uh, that Salem's dealing with. So if you, if you want to make some a quick buck, you know, uh, and you're living a, a good, you know, hour's drive from Salem, go to your local Walmart, buy a couple cases of bottled water and go up to a street corner in Salem. And I bet you, you can sell that bottled water um, uh, for at least uh, a, a tidy profit. <laughs> Because I understand it's nearly impossible to find bottled water in Salem today. Hopefully that'll, you know, one of the things about the free market is it will react to that. And uh, you'll see bottled water being shipped in by the truckload in Salem in the next few days. So I don't imagine that shortage is going to last long. Uh, but that's just one more reason why we should all be prepared. Which gets me to another topic, which will bring me back around to 126 a little bit here in a minute, which is really we have to take personal responsibility for having at least a three-day supply of food and water for our households because when you think about it you know whether it's a blue-green algae bloom or there's an explosion at the water treatment plant your city could suddenly find itself without water in a in a zero notice situation and, and of course, if you're like me and you're out in the country and you've got a well and something happens to your well pump, you know, whatever, uh, you can be out of water at home pretty pretty quickly, you know, even if you're on an individual system. So there's always a need to at least have a three-day supply of water for your household. And when I say household, I'm talking about pets, uh, livestock, and, and you and your family. Um, got to count all of those together because you know who are you going to let 
um, die of thirst in those three days if you have a plan for everybody. So if you're, you know, have horses or whatever else, and you don't have a natural source of water, um, and you're, you know, watering your horses from your 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 well or you're watering from the municipal system, you better have enough water for three days of your horses, because that's what it takes usually to get a response from government to to come in and bring in the water trucks or whatever else. But if you get into a larger emergency, you better have a couple weeks. In fact, that's what we're starting to tell people is three days isn't enough. Because one of the things that happens is your next door neighbor didn't keep any around and your next door neighbor has a two-year-old kid. Are you going to not give them some of your bottled water during this emergency? If they come knocking on your door and say, we've looked all over, we can't find any bottled water. Junior is just gasping at this point. You're really going to not hand them some of that bottle of water. Well, there goes part of your three-day supply. So you might want to start thinking about a three-week supply, because I guarantee if it's one neighbor, it might be two. It happened to depend on you in some way. And who knows, you might be driving through an area and get stranded during an emergency, and you're the one without supplies, and you hope that somebody has that three weeks worth of supply they're willing to share. So Got to think about it that way, too. You're not always the one at home during an emergency to Highway 126. And one of the things that we touched on briefly was resilience a little bit in the Cascadia subduction zone event. And one of the things that we have to think about with Highway 126, uh, the rail line and the Corps of Engineers is this whole Cascadia subduction zone event. And Pretty much, uh, you know, 126 is going to be the relief route for the coast. It's going to be pretty devastated in a uh, major subduction zone event. And we need to get all the bridges and causeways that might liquefy and slide off into a reservoir and everything else up to a standard where we're not going to have to worry about that, where we know we can get those relief to those people. Um, and we got to start thinking ourselves about that. You know, what happens if that earthquake comes before we do all this work on our bridges, and before we have everything ready? Well, you think about if we start losing a fair number of bridges, even if it's only 10% of the bridges in Lane County. And Lane County, not the state highway system, just the county road system. And that doesn't include what City of Eugene owns or City of Springfield, doesn't include you know, the, the bridges on Highway 126 or I-5, we have 420 bridges that we maintain in Lane County. So if even 10% of those goes down, you know, that's 42 bridges, you know, that would be impassable across Lane County. Think about how that would island Lane County up. You know, if we had 10% of our bridges go down, and of course, the closer to the coast you are, the more chance it's going to be a bridge near you. Uh, with this, the subduction zone earthquakes going to be centered off the coast. Um, so, you know, you think about the islanding that's going to happen in that, and there's going to be islands of survival, basically, neighborhoods that are going to be, you know, if you're at work, you may be in an island that you're, you know, only familiar with as being your work area. Um, and of course, if you're one of these workers, like a plumber that's on call, to various people's homes, you may get stuck 
somewhere you're pretty unfamiliar with during a call. So, you know, do you have some supplies in your vehicle? You know, are, are you carrying any emergency supplies with you? Are you, you know, think about if, you know, if you're home and you have people stranded in your survival island, you know, whether that's a small area here in beautiful downtown Elmira, or it's someplace over in Florence, and you've got people from who knows where stranded in your area, are you going to be, um, you know, the tribal and, and, you know, they're going to be the outsiders and you're, you know, going to be all for, you know, the folks that live there, or, you know, it could be your spouse that's actually the one that got stuck outside of your survival island and they're in another survival island you're going to hope those people won't be tribal and we'll take them in so um, think about you know what's your behavior going to be have you ever even thought through some of these scenarios in your mind and, and thought about how will you react during that major event and and if you are in a survival island and you have to prepare for that which leads me back to politics again. And we've talked about this on the Bo's Nose Show a bit, which is this whole idea of identity politics, division of our country, and the fact that politics has gotten so divisive, people can't even talk about it now in, in any civil manner. And as you think about what might happen during an emergency, like the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake and, and tsunami, where we end up getting our communities broken up into these islands by, you know, stranded by various uh, bridge collapses and landslides that block roads and everything else, where you've got to work with whoever ended up in your island. You don't get to pick. It's going to be some of your friends and neighbors you know, but it's going to be some outsiders that you don't even know. And, and you're going to have to deal with that. How are you going to react to that? And, you know, kind of what's happened um, with our politics is we've divided ourselves up into neighborhoods that we all identify with the people in our neighborhood. And we're not, you know, we're not having to be forcibly mixed together like this, like an emergency would do. And, it, and it's part of where it's made it easy for us to kind of um, stereotype the other side. You know, they're, they're a bunch of idiots. They, they don't know what they're talking about or they have evil intent or whatever. Like I've talked about before, we have to assume good intentions on everybody's part. We have to start breaking down some of these groups we've been told we have to identify with. Yeah, you know, we don't have to be a member of a group. And one of the things in an emergency we're going to have to think about is we don't want to get tribal. We're going to have to break all that down and and offer a hand to our neighbors and to the folks that are strangers to us that might be stuck in our survival island. So just a little food for thought there on the Bo's Nose Show. And again, I'm your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we've thrown out a bunch of stuff to talk about there, everything from, you know, highway safety and working across, you know, boundaries of the Corps of Engineers and, and Oregon Department of Transportation, to uh, Memorial Day, to water emergencies and emergency alerts, to how we would react, you know, 
in an emergency and just being prepared for emergencies as 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 your household are you prepared and you know if you have any questions about that or just comments give us a call here at 646-721-9887 just press one and that lets robin my call screener and producer or extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation again that's 646-721-9887 just press one and you know even if you don't want to talk about any of these subjects if there's something else you want to talk about um give us a call here on the bozno show we'll talk about it so um i also want to let people know about an event coming up tomorrow night while i've got your attention here on the bozno show there is a town hall a river road santa clara town hall tomorrow night at 6 30 at Aubrey Park Elementary School, which is at on Spring Creek Drive out in Santa Clara. Folks that you know might uh, not be familiar with the, the area, but it's going to be with um, State Representative Julie Fahey is going to be there. There's also going to be um, City Councilor Claire Surrett from the City of Eugene, and uh, there's going to be somebody from 4J School District and somebody from Eugene Water and Electric Board. And I'll be there, and it's going to be this multi-level um, government town hall. So that if you bring a problem there, we can't. It'll be difficult for us to just go, oh, that's another government issue, and I, I don't deal with that. Um, somebody there ought to be able to answer your question. <laughs> so we'll have this. We'll, we'll be there, be able to answer some questions, talk about how we interact with each other, because there's a lot of things like. You know the state representatives they supply funding sometimes to the state but the actual execution is down at the local level through the county or the city the school district um you know eweb will be there so if you have questions about eweb and blue green algae you might want to talk with the eweb commissioner there um but you know we'll, we'll be there tomorrow night again 6 30 aubrey park elementary school um, you can go to my Facebook page, uh, West Lane County uh, Commissioner Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and there's an event there uh, you can click on to get the information uh, about the uh, River Road Santa Clara Town Hall tomorrow night at 6.30. So, um, looks like we have somebody online. Um, probably if you had a chance to check in with them or should I just jump right to them? Yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, and bring him on. Bring call. him on. Call. You're on with uh, Commissioner Jay Bolshevich. Hello, this is Philip. I used to live in Cheshire, but I am now living uh, in uh, well near near the uh, public library in Eugene. And I just wanted to say uh -huh. that I appreciate your program. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So anything in particular you want to talk about today, Philip? Well, uh, specifically, uh, having lived in Lane County for uh, boom, 24 years, almost a quarter century, and most of that time being in the West Lane County, I'm very, very pleased to know that they're uh, finally getting a uh, a good repavement going on Highway 126. I have seen, as you have and everybody else, too many fatalities on that road. 
and uh, part of that is is actually the road construction itself. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing though that you know the road construction is it lends itself to being dangerous just because there's not a lot it's there's it's not forgiving as a road, but as we look at the accident data over the years, the the, the um, serious injury and fatality accidents, the majority of them are the result of driver behaviors. You know, it, going too fast for conditions, not paying attention, um, distracted driving, DUII, um, it, those are driver behaviors. So it's, you know, I can, I can engineer a road, but I can't change that behavior. Correct. So, so I, and, and, and I agree with you. I have actually uh, sat in uh, Florence uh, uh, court as a juror, and um, the the uh, trial was uh, DUII, and uh, the man had driven all the way from Eugene at a Ducks game, and he said, "Well, I only have one beer." At at uh, such and such restaurant, well, uh, he blew more than 0.08 uh, in Florence. So we know that he had more than one beer. But uh, you're right. People people need to change how they look at the road conditions and then drive to that ability. Uh, I, I'm like I said. I'm just moving in from Cheshire, and uh, being that I'm pulling a trailer, sometimes the moment I see that I have a car behind me, I look for a place to pull over on 36. There's not that many, but they they are by the bridges, and and I'll pull over and and let the traffic on, and I I don't have to uh, rush to get to my new house. I, I need to get there safely. Yeah. And, and the fact that you're being courteous allows other people not to get impatient and pass unsafely, which happens. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, that, that, that courtesy. Yeah. Goes. It, 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 it's something that people just have lacked. I, I uh, also pay attention to the load that I'm driving, I, I consider myself a retired professional driver, but I never had a CDL. I drove four counties in uh, Northern California, Sonoma, Lake, Mendocino, and and uh, Napa counties uh, delivering uh, wood flooring. And some, some days I would drive all four counties. And uh, the, so I... I spend a lot of time on the road, and I pay attention to my load. And I was driving down 99 South, saw that it shifted. I pulled over as soon as I could. And even though I had plenty of room for people to pass me, uh, you know, where I pulled over was a lane, uh, an exit lane, but there was no other place to really safely retie my load. And somebody came up to me and said, I shouldn't park where I am. And I went, lady, I'm trying to keep myself safe 
from the drivers out there on 99. Well, and then she said, well, I wasn't being rude. And I, I didn't reply because nobody who's being rude recognizes they're being rude. It's the rudeness is received, not given. You know, uh, people just don't understand what politeness is anymore. But uh, uh, I, I've talked to you on uh, Facebook before a couple times, and and uh, to hear your voice and know that you're live and hearing what you were talking about, I was just. Uh, Jay, I wanted to say thank you for being who you are. You've touched in in your time that being on there, carrying supplies to be safe. And uh, I I had to laugh. I was a I was a maintenance man in uh, 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 Cloverdale, California, at a senior citizens' apartment complex, and I was walking by a vehicle, and there was a a sleeping bag in the back end. And then I looked at the license plate, Colorado. Be prepared. <laughs> you know they, yeah. they, they 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 still, even though they just moved from Colorado, they still had their Colorado supplies in their vehicle, and I do the same. Uh, I have uh, a high degree of first aid training. I was at one time an emergency medical technician, second level, and and uh, I, I won't say that I remember everything, but I know that if I came upon an accident, I have all the medical needs I could do uh, even just to make somebody comfortable by covering them with, with a thermal blanket that costs $2.99. And it'll reflect 98% yeah. of the heat of that body. And when it's done, it gets thrown away. I don't care about that 2 to $3, but I do care about keeping somebody warm if they're going into shock and and uh, yeah. being be, having, having something... Uh, I I was on River Road. This was a decade ago, and woman DUI runs her stop sign perpendicular to River Road, hits the 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 uh, not, not, not the, 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 the other side of the road, flips her car, and. I got on the phone, called 911, and then I got my flashlight out and I was swinging it. So there was a great big, huge glowing orb in the air so they could see right where it was. Somebody walked up to me and said, do you know anybody that's got a knife? I reached in and I handed him my knife and I said, this is shaving sharp. And he said, thank you. And he went and cut her seatbelt and then brought me back my knife and said, it, shaving sharp. <laughs> and I, had, I just grabbed it with the other hand and continued to, 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 to show that there's something going on in the road. You know, uh, uh, 
yes, yeah. yesterday or the day before, I was, I was on 99 and 36, and an 18-wheeler had broken down, called Junction City just to make sure that they had been reported. And the guy said, thank you. And I said, just doing my civic duty. People forget yep. well, that they I appreciate have a civic duty. Anyway, yeah, that is, you know, that... All right. Well, thank you for calling, Phil. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your sense of, of civic duty uh, and, and the preparedness you have for, for yourself and for and your desire to help other people in the community. That's really great. So thanks for calling, Phil. And I heard, yeah. And I heard that in your in your talk today, uh, Jay, on, on, on the Bo's Nose Show. So thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. So, yeah, that, that does kind of, you know, sort of what I was getting at, and kind of Phil said it be- a little bit better when he said civic duty. Uh, you know, as I talk about keeping emergency supplies that are for more than just your household, you know, and for more than just three days, that helping your neighbor with the two-year-old toddler or your 85-year-old widower next door um, that's a civic duty, you know, in helping those folks out or the person that gets stranded in your survival island. As we talk about the Cascadia subduction zone, earthquake and tsunami, uh, if we're if we are islanded in the neighborhoods, um, those strangers that get um, left in your area, helping them is a civic duty. Um, and it's something we don't think about very much. I mean, it, you know, yeah, it's a Boy Scout sort of thing to, to talk about, but we all have a certain amount of civic duty that we need to kind of get back to here in America. And, that, and that's part of that whole thing of getting away from um, group politics and identifying with groups and getting divisive because, you know, this group has, has, has wronged your group. So therefore, you know, you have to be enemies politically. And it's all about dividing us into smaller and smaller subgroups so they can they can use us against each other at will as politicians um, to, as a means to an end when it's really destructive to our, our society because that kind of goes against the whole idea of helping the stranger and, and being outside of your group and being willing to listen with an open mind and assuming good intentions of people. Um, so I, I appreciate Phil's call and appreciate him Kind of bringing the whole idea of civic duty into the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show, which we have about 10 minutes left. And if you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show and steer the conversation in the direction you want to go, like Phil did, you can give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one. You want to get in on the conversation again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. Uh, and it kind of you can get in, we can talk about all sorts of things, whether it's construction season or water emergencies and uh, emergency alerts or uh, the mill fire down in Saginaw, or you know, we can talk about uh, Kim Jong-il and Donald Trump and summits. Uh, if you wanna go in on the global uh, political scene, we talk about it all from very local to, to global here on the Bo's Nose Show. Um, so, was wondering, Robin. Yes. As it gets to be construction season, um, 
you were saying that they're planning to do some overpass work in, on on your side. You know, Robin lives in Springfield. I have to explain this to folks because you know this is the wonders of the internet, and she's actually operating and producing the show from her home in Springfield, as I do the show from my home in Elmira. And uh, one of the things, sometimes I get a little bit locally myopic and pay attention to road projects on my side of the highway. And I kind of depend on Robin to tell me what's going on on her side of I-5. But I, you said they're supposed to be doing some overpass work on 126 there in the Springfield area, and that they did some similar work last summer. What's going on there? Yeah, if I read the article correctly, um, which, you know, there's always a chance of error that I didn't, but they mentioned about doing some more overpass work on 126. And I remember, I think it was last year they did it. And I can't remember if it was last year or the year before when they put that loose gravel in. And the first thing comes to my mind, oh, great. I have a brand new windshield that I got about six months ago. And so far I've managed to avoid flying rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that won't be, a, be an issue. Yeah. I think that, you know, that was, wasn't it Highway 58 that had the flying rock problem uh, last summer or something? That was some new uh, mix that ODOT tried. And I think they, they said that the uh, contractor didn't apply it correctly or something, or there was some mix up. But um, yeah, that's always, always another part of construction season in Oregon is flying rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was both locations, but I'll give a, I'll give ODOT or whoever was responsible kudos for at least cleaning it up quickly on 126 and yeah by the way i wanted to make a comment real quick on one of the things you're talking about uh selling bottled water on the street corners <laughs> which i was just thinking about uh all those people that try to sell lemonade on the street corner and get in trouble for not having a permit yeah 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 i'm sure that if you went up there somebody would be upset about it and that you'd be accused of price gouging but it actually that is the um the free market response to shortages yes. is for prices to go up and that entices people to bring more supply into that area you know those people wouldn't be willing to drive you know to go to the local walmart buy a bunch of bottled water and drive into your area to offer that water if you didn't if you didn't allow them to charge more than the retail price right if they weren't going to make a profit they wouldn't do it so if you do, you know, do like they've done in some emergencies where they ban price gouging and actually prosecute people, you'll find out there were extreme shortages in those cases, you know, where, you know, what what having prices go up, what that does is it actually allocates the resource better because people that are just playing hoarding because they want, you know, they're worried about running out, won't spend a lot of money just to hoard which will actually leave supply available for those that truly need it. You know, like somebody that has an infant that is not being able to find water versus, you know, the, the person that just was one of the first people to get to the grocery store and bought all the water they could manage to get in the cart um, because they were worried they might run out. Exactly. You know, so um, having the ability for the price to rise and then that will bring in supply. Plus it also moderates demand when prices go up and and, and just will actually distribute supply more evenly. But it, it's a lesson lost sometimes on some people because they just see, oh, the evil price gougers. Well, you know, <laughs> people aren't willing to load up cars and trucks and drive into disaster areas if they aren't going to make a profit. True. Speaking of water, um, 
tax your your water engineering knowledge a little bit. Uh, most homes have um, a default 30 to 50 gallons of stored water known as the hot water heater. How safe is that in, in case of a uh, shortage? Well, in most municipal areas where they, they uh, chlorinate the water uh, prior to, to putting in the distribution system, there's enough of a chlorine residual that that actually water will stay safe for quite a while in their, um, their hot water heater. One of the things you got to remember, though, is turn off your hot water heater if there's actually a, a pressure loss in the system, so you don't burn the element out. You know, if there's pressure loss but still power, right. um, yeah, you want to make sure you turn off that hot water heater because if it does run dry and you still got power to it, you'll burn your hot water heater out, which you know is another four to eight hundred dollar um, repair you don't need to have. So. <laughs> But that is that is something people forget about is they've got some stored water in their house. That is, um, but in the case of the Salem thing, where it had been in the distribution system, um, the the actual toxins, it wouldn't have been helpful for this particular case. You know, in in a um, subduction zone earthquake or something like that, where the, where the water system, uh, you know, has enough main breaks and all that, and you lose pressure and you're not getting water delivered to your house. There's your backup supply for a couple of days, um, but you got to think about. They they tell you you need three ga gallons of water per person per day. So if you got a 30 gallon tank there, you're only talking about 10 days supply for a single person, five days for two people. And if you got a family of four, you're down to two and a half days. So you're still not keeping your three days of, of backup water. Exactly. And if you want to really be sure that people do it, just remember: no water, no coffee. <laughs> yeah, and and I guarantee you, um, I, I'm the I'm the person that makes sure I've got a backup way to make coffee somehow or another because <laughs> I've definitely got a caffeine addiction, and when I have to go cold turkey for some reason, I I suffer that that caffeine withdrawal headache, something fierce. So <laughs> I hear you. By the way, yeah. I got the uh, got your town hall meeting up on the screen right now. If you want to go ahead and uh, tell people again in the last minute. Sure. In the last minute here, having a River Road Santa Clara Town Hall with Representative Julie Fahey, uh, that is House District 14 that represents that area tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m. Aubrey Park Elementary School, which is at 158 Spring Creek Drive. Uh, Eugene uh, is the street address, but it's actually Santa Clara neighborhood out there. And I hope to see a few people there. There's going to be myself, Representative Fahey from state. There's going to be um, City Councilor Clara Surrett from Eugene. There's going to be somebody from 4J. There'll be somebody there from EWeb, and uh, we're going to try and cover all the bases with government for you so that we can answer your questions tomorrow night at 6:30. So, hope everybody uh, might have learned something tonight on the Bose Nose Show. And uh, it was great talking with you. It was great to talk to Phil today. Hopefully. Folks will uh, give us a call next week on the Bose Nose Show as we come to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. Talk to you next week. Have a great evening. Good night.